You can turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 8, will be verses uh, 35 through 39 uh, today. Romans 8, 35 through 39. I heard about a, a, a lady who went with her friend to the police station to report that her husband was, was missing. And the policeman asked the lady for a description, and she said, well, he's 6'2", he has deep blue eyes, he has dark wavy hair, an athletic build, well-groomed, sharply dressed, weighs about 185 pounds, he's soft-spoken, well-mannered, and treats our kids so well, just absolutely loves the children. The friend spoke up and said, but your husband is fat, 5'3", rude, smokes cigars, he's bald, he's got a big mouth, he never bathes, he's dressed as sloppy, his teeth are rotten, and he treats your kids like garbage. And the wife replied by saying, yeah, but who wants that one back? Uh, that's not exactly unfailing love, is it? Um, unfailing love is Paul this morning. Paul walks in with a big Purdue coat on and a Purdue mug and drinking coffee from his Purdue mug. And uh, that's unfailing love right there uh, to bring that into a house of God. Uh, it's just unbelievable. Uh, in all seriousness, probably in a couple of weeks, there's a good chance we won't have church on Sunday because Purdue and IU will play again at Mackey. And so anyway, Romans 8, 35 through 39. Uh, here's what the Bible tells us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. For centuries, uh, people have been looking for love. And if I can borrow a line from Urban Cowboy and the old country, Johnny Lee. Did, remember that song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places? That's kind of where I think we see our society today. We're seeing people looking for acceptance or looking for love in a lot of places that they really have no business going. How else can we explain the record-setting number of divorces, the increase in pornography, a society that is replacing the traditional definition of marriage with alternative lifestyles. Where can we go to find lasting love? Where can we find a love that truly works in a world determined to uh, redefine the word itself? I think what we try to do sometimes is we try to go to society and see what society is saying, but we know that society doesn't really know. They don't have a clue. So we can't go there. We can't go to religion because religion misinterprets love because they're all about rules and regulations. We can't go to Hollywood because they've misrepresented it down through the years. You can't go to authors and playwrights because they have as much trouble defining it as anyone else. So where do we go? Well, obviously, as a preacher, you would expect me to say, let's go to the Bible. Let's see what the Bible has to say about love. Maybe it's time to go back to the one who the Bible says is love, the one who created love, the one who uh, does everything because of love. Let's go there and, and see what God has to say about the meaning 
uh, of love because I believe that God deeply, he, he longs for everyone to experience the fullness of, of the love that he created, the love that he is. And, and if we want real love, if we want ideal love, if we want perfect love, it's only found in God's love for us. Therefore, he lures us away from all of that stuff that Satan tries to trap us in. All of these things that the world calls love, God is calling us out from those things. All of those things that are competing for our affection, God says, no, here's what true love is. And this is what he says in Jeremiah 31.3, long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love. Love, I have drawn you unto myself. And so when it comes to this topic of love, what we can say is this probably, love is life's driving priority. In fact, we talked about it last week that, that without love, we're absolutely nothing. That's what the Bible says. We can't accomplish anything that's worth anything at all without love. With, if we don't have love in our lives, we're, we're zero, Right? And this is because every minute of every day since we heard and since we met God, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you're in this relationship, you should know and understand that His love is pursuing us. He is pursuing a relationship with us. He wants more than anything to have an intimate relationship with us. I think this is part of the problem that we see in a lot of our churches. We have people who make decisions to accept Jesus but not follow Him. We have people who say, yeah, I want to go to heaven, but then they don't really want to dive into that relationship that helps you become a better person the whole time that you're, you're getting there and helps you to love God more and helps you to love mankind even more, right? And so there's nothing that we can do, no place that we can go where God's love is not pursuing us and God's love is uh, wanting to meet us wherever we might find ourselves. God's love knows no bounds. No matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, no matter how we may feel, whether we feel good or whether we feel bad, God is there. We can't get away from God's love. We cannot chase it away. No matter how hard we try, God's love is unconditional for us. And this is at the heart of the matter when King David wrote this, you go before me and follow me, you're, you're, you place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. How can God love us that much? Raise your hand if you're parents. Do you love your children in this way? Most days. Yeah, you know, Rod, Rod's going, eh, maybe. yeah, we do. We love our children that way. And yet, for some reason, even though we know that we love our children unconditionally, and no matter what they're doing, even though they may irritate us at times, we love them in such a manner that it doesn't matter what they do wrong, we're never going to stop loving them. That doesn't mean we like what they're doing. That doesn't mean we approve of everything that we're doing. And so we know that as parents, but for some reason, we have a hard time putting that on God and saying, God could love us in that way. I believe God is saying to us that while he cares about what we do, he deeply hurts when we sin. Again, let's put this back on us as parents. Does it bother you when you see your children going the wrong way? Absolutely it does. But you never stop loving them. 
And he demonstrates for us just how far he will go to pursue us with this kind of love. Again, doesn't mean he approves of what we're doing. But he never stops loving us. Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Even when we were his enemy, even when we were living apart from him, when we were separated from God, God chose to send his son to die for us. And so God loves us through the highest of highs. He loves us through the lowest of lows. And nothing, there is absolutely nothing that can separate us from this. The Apostle Paul said this. We read this a moment ago. Verses 38 and 39. I am convinced. Right? Paul has seen it with his own eyes. He knows where he has been. He knows where he's at. He knows where some of his friends have been and where they're at. And he's saying this. After seeing all of this going on and seeing the Holy Spirit work in his life and other people's lives, he says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when we feel like we've blown it, has anybody ever been there? You ever just feel like you've blown it? Have you ever been in a place where you feel like, I don't even know if God likes me right now? Even when we feel that way, right? And if God in no possible way could love us, he still does. He still loves us. And he is pursuing that relationship with us. And so as we continue discussing this idea of unfailing love in our lives, let's consider the following. God's love is incredible. Can I get an amen to that? His love is absolutely incredible. The apostle John writes of God's incredible love for us when he calls those who believe in his son Jesus his children. That's what God calls it. We're his kids. I like the way Max Lucado said it. He goes, if, if, if God had a refrigerator in, in heaven, your, your picture would be on it. That's how much he loves you. You are his child. Basically, it is through our belief in Jesus Christ that God adopts us into his family. Look at what John says in 1 John 3, 1. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But what does it mean when John says, see how much our Father loves us? Well, Kenneth West puts it this way in his word study. He says that it's a love that is out of this world. In in other words, he's saying the love of God is otherworldly. It's a love like nobody else can emulate down here. It's a love that we can't even understand. It's otherworldly. There's nothing in this world that can ever compare to the love of God. It's so incredible. And as we looked at earlier, that while we were yet sinners and God's enemies, the Lord in his wonderful and in his incredible love sent his son Jesus to die for us. And thus, through the forgiveness of our sins, through Jesus, we can now be adopted into his family, as Mike was talking about earlier. Such love is beyond our comprehension. I mean, who does that, right? Who would do that for anyone? The answer is obviously God. Again, I go back to what John said. 
And this time it is found in his, his gospel. And, and, and the really cool thing about this, the really wonderful thing about this, about this incredible love, is we are beneficiaries. We are heirs of God through belief in Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Here's what it says in John 1.12. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And so his wonderful, his marvelous love, his incredible love has brought us into his family. We are family members with Jesus. And we're now called his sons and daughters. Guys, I'd let that sink in for just a moment. Right? That we are family members of God's. And that's how incredible his love is for us. And it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable that God would do that. We, we sung about it a, a little bit ago. Mike mentioned it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God proved his love for us when he sent Jesus to die for us so that we can be made right with him. That's unbelievable. As parents, a lot of you have had children who have gone into the military, right? And, and that's, an, that's an incredible thing as well, right? That you send them off to, to fight for God and country, and, and you know that there's the possibility that they may die in service. But would we do the same that is, give up our sons and daughters to help save a traitor? Would we give up our sons and daughters to save a murderer? An abuser? The answer is no. None of us would do that, right? There's no way we're going to trade our child for someone who is so vile. But not so with God. God gave his son for the worst of the worst. His enemies. He gave his son to die for the ungodly, for the wicked, for the depraved, those who expressly hate him, those who would curse him to his face. God gave his one and only son to die for those kind of people, us. Because, I mean, honestly... We're not a whole lot better. While we may have some things in our life we won't get arrested for, we got a lot of things in our lives that just aren't all that pretty. This was the whole point of what Paul was talking about in Romans 5, 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Can you imagine the emotional toll that that took on God? When God is in heaven and he's saying, I'm going to send my son now, and take on human form so he can be mistreated and eventually murdered by the very ones that he was sent to save. Can you imagine the hurt and the pain that God felt through all of that? Watching his son being unmercifully beaten and nailed to a cross. Well, he did that for us. Can you imagine how God felt for the first time since the beginning of time that he was separated from his son? 
That's the price that God paid. That's the price that Jesus paid. That's the price that each of them were willing to go so that you and I could be in a relationship with him. And that's why his love is incredible. And that's why it's unbelievable. But let me tell you something as well. It's also a little bit frightening, isn't it? When you stop and think about it, it's a little bit frightening just how much God loves us. During the Welsh Revival in the early 1900s, a Welshman was praying in English, but he was thinking in the native tongue when he began to quote Psalm 130, verse 4, which says, But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. He was having trouble translating that, putting that into the right words, and he stumbled trying to find, trying to find out just what to say. Eventually, he brought forth this translation. He said, There is forgiveness with thee enough to frighten us. What a revelation. Right? That God's loving kindness toward us that forgives our sins is so great that it's frightening. God's loving kindness is so great and so wonderful is the forgiveness of his sins for us that it fills us with a love that is truly frightening. And the idea behind this is this. We are not necessarily frightened by God or frightened of God, but that it's a love toward us that is so great. And this is what the translation literally says, is that it literally takes our breath away. Have you ever been so frightened by something that it just, <gasps> it just scares you? Right? I remember probably the scaredest I ever was in my life, and I told you this story before, I think, but Stacy and I were dating at the time, and we were watching a movie that probably shouldn't have been watched in the first place. Anybody remember Chucky and Child's Play and, and all that? And, and so the movie didn't really scare me all that much, but while I was watching the movie with Stacy, her brother sneaks out of the house, goes and gets in my 1978 Pinto, and ties a doll from the rearview mirror of the car. And so when I come out and get in the car and I sit in the car, there's a doll hanging from the mirror. And I'm like, <gasps> I mean, it literally took my breath away. And I just about took her brother's breath away after that because I was not very happy. I was frightened. But the kind of love that God has for us is not that scary, frightening, but it's just so immense and so great that it takes our breath away. Normally when we contemplate our sin, there is the natural response of, of becoming frightened of God's punishment. And that's not a hel- an unhealthy fear at all to be frightened of God's punishment. I think that's a very, very healthy thing. I think that helps to keep us in line. But in speaking to the church at Philippi, the Apostle Paul says this, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. So Paul is saying that's healthy to do that. But this isn't what the psalmist is trying to convey. Listen to how he puts it. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. It's time for us to stop being afraid of punishment because we are resting in the love of God. And if we are in Christ Jesus, there's not going to be punishment for our sins because he's already paid the price. Now that doesn't give us the right to go out and do whatever we want to do. But we need to understand just how great his love is and what it's done for us. And when we realize God's love for us, that is giving his son to take our place, dying the death that we deserve on the cross. I mean, it's kind of frightening because 
we are accountable to him now. And, and we need to raise our love quotient. We need to raise our love for God to a whole new level when we really stop and contemplate what God has done for us through Jesus. And so we truly serve a loving, awesome God. And, and I think, you know, here we're coming up on Valentine's Day, and this is, God, this is God's Valentine to us. And our Valentine back to Him would be to accept that love and rest in His promises. Because God's love is limitless. That's the fourth thing, if you're taking notes. It has no limits. It has no boundaries. We'll never be able to get away from it. We'll never be able to go beyond it. And it, I mean... It, it's, and, and it's not like this creepy stalker kind of thing because, you know, here, I'm, I'm, as I'm thinking this, it's like, you know, that sounds a little bit oppressive, doesn't it? The guy, that's not what we're talking about. It, 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 it's a love that is always there. But as, as I used to hear a, a preacher say when I was growing up all the time, God is a gentleman, right? He's never going to force anything on you, but he's always there, always ready to do the right thing, and it's limitless. Here's what the Bible uh, says about it, right? Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep is His love for us. God's love is greater than anything we'll ever know in this lifetime, right? and it'll accomplish more in us than we would ever dare to ask. Or hope. It's limitless. No matter what situation we may face, He's there for us. He's never going to stop loving us. That was a hard lesson for me to learn because when I was younger, you're going to find this hard to believe, but I did a lot of stupid stuff. I know. I know that's a, a shock for a lot of you. The Bible says, May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loved us and by His grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. And so here's the deal. God doesn't parcel out his love to us. His love is boundless. And it endlessly flows to us. Literally, God's love floods our hearts. God's limitless, loving touch gives us all the encouragement and all the hope that we're ever going to need. And his love will never fail and it never gives up because it's given through his grace. Not on anything that we can do. That's the thing. I think sometimes we don't really genuinely believe that God loves us that much because we haven't done enough good things to cause him to want to love us. We don't have to. He loves us for who we are. He doesn't want us to stay where we're at, but he loves us for who we are. God is immeasurably generous, and he gives us this love abundantly. He gives it to us without measure. And the fifth thing is it's uncommon. The Apostle Paul declares that the depth of God's unbelievable love is this agape love that we've talked about down through the years that we're all probably pretty familiar with, this unconditional love. Romans 5, 6, and 7, when we were utterly helpless. Have you ever felt utterly helpless? 
Paul was feeling this way when he wrote this. He's saying all of us probably have been there. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But Jesus died for us sinners, us messed up people. Maybe we can think about this kind of love for those kind of people who, who go the extra mile for people maybe they haven't even met yet. I think of like I think of um, I think of military personnel. I think of first responders who are willing to rush into a building that's on fire maybe, and um, they don't know if they're going to live or die, and they're rushing into a building trying to save people that they've never even met or people that come upon a wreck, and they're willing to get into a vehicle that they don't know if it's going to explode or not and try to help get a person out to save their lives. When I think of those kinds of people, it kind of portrays to me the love of God because that's what he has done for us, a bunch of people. And he knew us, but we didn't love him. With Jesus, he went beyond. Not only did he die for those who had their act together, he died for all of us who hated him, who were ungodly. You know, it, it's an incredible thought to think that the very person who was running a spear into his side, Jesus was dying for. The very person that was killing him. He was doing it for them. And he died for those that are without strength. Those who are unlovely and unlovable. The cast offs of society. The untouchables. Those who are destitute. Those who in society are without value. He died for all of us. This uncommon love. And it's available. It's, a, it's available to everyone and to anyone. And it defies logic, but it doesn't defy reason. Does that make sense? It defies logic, but it doesn't defy reason. First, it's because God's love for us is a part of his very nature. That is, God is love. Second, God loves us because he made us. And while we still sin, and we've destroyed some of, I guess, uh, ourselves uh, because of our sin, and Satan just keeps chipping away at us and keeps chipping away at our mind and, and, and our peace because of our, our sin. God made us, and we are of unique value to him. Has anybody ever made something like maybe in shop class at school uh, that you're just really, really proud of, but really when you look at it, it wasn't really all that good, right? And you're like, but, but I made that. That's awesome. I mean, I remember one year uh, when we were growing up, I was just a little guy. We were in vacation Bible school, and my brother Jeff, during vacation Bible school, it was arts and crafts time, and, and we were making these little clay, uh, whatever we wanted to make. We could make like a flower pot or whatever. And so my brother Jeff, it was nearing Father's Day, and so my brother Jeff wanted to make something for my dad for Father's Day in vacation Bible school at church. And so he makes an ashtray for my dad. Well, dad did smoke. He smoked for about 40 years. And, and Jeff made this, 
this ashtray uh, in Bible school. And uh, he loved it. He was really proud of it. And dad loved it uh, because Jeff made it for him. Now, everybody else in the church was looking at that and going, what's going on in the Bridgewater house that we ought to know about? But um, it was something that Jeff and dad loved. Mom didn't love it all that much. But uh, it, it was just one of these unique things that the two of them shared because Jeff made it for dad. All right? Well, God made us, and even though we are far from perfect, he's incredibly proud of us, and he loves us so much, and we are of so much value, because he sees us not necessarily for what we are, but he sees us for what we can be. I mean, he sees us for what we are and who we are, that we're his children, and he's always going to love us. But he, as I said, he doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to grow to be something greater than we could ever become on our own. He wants to see us become something uh, that is of great value in his kingdom. He loves us because he knows that, that uh, you know, maybe someday... We'll get our act together. And it totally breaks his heart when he sees something, someone that he's made, turn their back on him. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 15, it says, Yet the Lord chose your ancestors as the objects of his love, and he chose you, their descendants, above all other nations, as is evident today. And the word there in the Hebrew is literally fastened. God fastened his love upon them. When you fasten something, it holds together. It, it never, never separates, right? God fastened his love to you. And I don't know if you've ever accepted that love or not. Right? I don't know. But I hope if you're here today and you've never received that love, that, that you would be willing to consider a relationship with him today. I, I would hope and pray that, that maybe you today would understand just what God has done for you, his incredible, unbelievable, frightening, limitless, uncommon love, his Valentine card to the human race. You would accept that and enter into that relationship with him if you've not done that. If you have already done that, but you've kind of just, I don't know, drifted and not really held up your end of the, the bargain, would you consider maybe remembering your first love today? One day, Charles Spurgeon was walking through the English countryside with a friend, and as they strolled along, the evangelist noticed a barn, and there was a weather vane on top of the barn and at the top of the weather vane these words were uh, attached to it it said God is love and Spurgeon remarked to his companion that he thought it was a rather inappropriate place for such a message weather vanes are changeable Spurgeon said and God's love is not changeable and his companion said I don't agree with you Charles you misunderstood the meaning. That sign is indicating a truth. Regardless of whatever way the wind blows, God is love. 
And his love is available for you today. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. And if you're here today and you've never entered into that relationship with him, we teach here that that you confess Christ uh, as the son of the living God. And whatever sin is in your life, you repent of that sin. And if you've not been baptized into him, the Bible teaches that you need to be baptized for the washing away of your sins. And Maybe that's a decision you want to make today. To enter into this relationship for the first time with Christ. If so, we invite you to come. Maybe you're here and you feel like you've blown it. And you feel like God just doesn't love you anymore. That couldn't be farther from the truth. He loves you today just as much as he ever has. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and maybe you just need prayer today. Would You can join us on these front seats. And we'll, we'll kneel beside you and pray with you if you have a need today that you need prayed for, or maybe, again, it's a first-time decision. Maybe you're watching online, and you want to reach out to us through our church connection number. Um, we invite you to do that as well, whatever your need. Uh, don't put it off. Let's pray.